0: merciful Savior and friend, and Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done in us to make new new wine. We thank you that even in the difficulties in life and whatever it is we bring in here today, you can use even that to make a new thing. And I pray that that would be true, but here's the real prayer that I just feel we need to pray together. Lord, would it be in your will and would you do it to put us all together on the rise as a church family? That you'd make new wine out of this whole thing. Not that things are bad, they're good. But all of us have different things in our lives that aren't so good and they're difficult. We also have joys of what you've done in our lives together. Would you work all that out And do what we've already seen happen in the lives of these people who've been baptized today. That we would be on the rise. That things would be different now. That this church would be the new wine. That we would be individuals of new wine, yes. But there would be something special, supernatural that happens because we partner together in your gospel, as Paul says. I just thank you and praise you for what you're doing here and in doing in my life and doing in our life and the people that are speaking to you right now from this congregation saying, thank you, God, for what you're doing in my life and in my family and in my world. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here and pray that you would teach us. Show us what you want us to know, regardless of what the teacher says. And show show us the things that you want us to remember that really touch our lives to the core from your word. Not just from what's said. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> it is good to be here today. That baptism really illustrates for us, and, and not just, you know, um, the act of baptism, although that, but the, the stories, man, <laughs> the diverse stories. I mean, of what God has done in people's lives. That's the kind of thing that we want to talk about in this series called His Resilient People. And if you're tired of hearing me use the word resilience, buckle up, because here we go. We're going to be talking about it a lot, because that, that's what it is. It's, it's the rise, what, what baptism symbolizes death in the grave and the rise, what the, the resurrection power of Jesus, which we saw in Philippians, right? Which which Paul makes the whole thing about that resilience, about that rise, if you will, um, and uh, you know if you if you look if you were here you saw this, but if you've read the book of Philippians lately, you see that chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. There's this rise. There's this re- illustration of resilience in it until there's this, this big crescendo at the end, right? That's what the Christian life. That's what the life of the church family, the family of Jesus, the. Jesus-believing community, that's what it's supposed to be. And here's the exciting news. And this is the focus of what we're going to talk about the next four weeks. And then, by the way, we're having one of the biggest parties at the end of the four weeks. I, I love those Sundays. I'm starting to love them more than Christmas and Easter, and I love Christmas. There's a big party at the end. But we're not there yet. What I, what, what, what I want you to know is, is that, that's that the, the exciting news is, is that it's in partnership together, it's in community, that the rise happens. Doesn't happen by ourselves. It happens together. That's that's God's design. That's how he made it. I thought about this this summer when uh, three uh, other guys in our family and I went out crabbing. The physical crustacean kind, not the verbal kind. I've done the verbal kind, but we didn't do it that day. We got up in an ungodly hour. I crabbed a little bit about that. Uh, And got there before daylight. And as the daylight just started to happen, they let us out on Newport Bay And the water was just starting to come in. And here's what I noticed it didn't matter if you were a yacht, if it was a motorboat, if it was a little dinghy like the one we were in, they all rose together. When the water came in, it all rose together. And that's the design, not just in creation, that's the design of the church. You see, I think that's what God is wanting to do for us, to continue to see that rise together. And who cares what I think Jesus thought about it. Jesus in John 15, remember, he says that the father is the gardener, and the gardener lifts up those plants, even the ones that don't bear fruit. He lifts them up. Two of his his most trusted and closest disciples, I mean, one of them was his brother, for crying out loud, James and Peter. Toward the end of your Bible, in 1 Peter and James, they'd use the same terminology. they use the same verse, if you will, the same statement that says this. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, going into the water, and in due time, God will lift you up, out. There's this uplift that God wants to do in our lives. And we've already seen it, as I said, in the book of Philippians to some degree, but I want you to notice this, because this is a really personal verse for me. It's an important verse, and I hope by the end of time we're done, it'll be personal for you too. At the beginning of Philippians, in chapter 1, I said, this is really the big idea. This is the big statement of Philippians. It's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. You really got to put 6 with it. That's the famous one, but you got to really start in verse 5, verse 4 actually. In all our, my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of your participation or partnership in the gospel. So there's something going along. It's not just a bunch of, I'm so excited that all individually everything. Nope, it's the partnership thing that gets them all sky high. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I hope by the end of this series, this is personal for you too. Because here's the deal. What that promise means is if we participate together in the gospel, what's going to happen is all of us are going to see a great big payoff gain of a good work that God does in you that he's already started. And I can see that he's already started it. That's the beauty and that's the wonder of what God wants to do, I believe, here and now. And that's what his resilient people, that's what this series is about. Now, the big idea today is what does that look like? What does that partnership together look like? What does community in the, the, um, the community of believers in Jesus, what does that look like? Well, it looks like helping each other with our temptations and our hurts and our struggles and our pains and celebrating our joys together. Yes, it means all that. But it doesn't just mean it at a level that's kind of normal and everyday. It means it at a level that is so off the charts beyond normal that it is actually, you can't call it anything but supernatural. That there's a miracle of things that happen, that you surprise yourself with what God has been able to do through you. Do you surprise yourself with the gifts that you're able to express because Jesus has given everybody a gift, giving them something to be able to share? You to surprise you, you go, wow, I never thought that could happen for me or with me. And the text that we're going to look at in the next four weeks, most, um, most of the time, is in Timothy, First uh, Timothy, toward, the, again, the end of your Bible, uh, not all the way back, but in, in the New Testament, it's almost to the end, First Timothy chapter 6. And you can turn there if you want to. But as you do, let me just tell you what's happening with Timothy. Timothy, of course, is Paul's spiritual son. He's a sort of like his adopted son in the Lord. Because he's one of the early converts. But he was—he became a Christian so early, he was still living with his mom. Although I know that's not, you know, a lot of older people live with their mom today. But anyway, he was living with his mom and and um, grandma. And he became a Christian. So he's so young that by the time Paul reads uh, writes... Uh, uh, First Timothy, you know, in 62 or so A.D., he may have been still in his teens, probably not, but at the very least, he's in his early 20s. And Timothy is a guy we, we kind of can gather from these two letters, First and Second Timothy, who was a little bit timida- intimidated, He's a little bit timid, and Paul, apparently the Lord told him to do this, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to be the pastor of a church that was in a crazy town. If you've been following along and love this book, you've been reading the book of Acts, and you know that in Acts chapter 19 and 20, but specifically in 19, there's this crazy riot that goes on because of Paul, because he's, he's messing with the bottom line business wise, financially, uh, for the uh, people who are making these little idols to a goddess named Artemis, and you know because everybody was, too many people were becoming Christians, and, and it, there was this big riot. So It was a crazy, crazy, new agey, spiritual, wacky, t- wait, it sounds like Portland. And for whatever the wisdom was, whatever the reason was, Paul decided to leave his spiritual son, Timothy, to be the pastor there. And on top of that, from reading between the lines as what we're going to see in 1 Timothy 6, there were some people in the church that were kind of jacking Timothy's jaw too. Some people that were kind of trying to take over and change the doctrine, change the teaching, change, you know, people of means who said, hey, you know, if you knock this off and just leave me alone, I'll pay, I'm giving this money and so forth. You know, it was, it was kind of, and it was intimidating and intimidating. Now, here's the thing, I know this, this is a little bit stronger for me because I know it seems like being a pastor isn't all that hard. I mean, you know, you get to sit in your office, read the Bible all day, wait for 500 people to call you, I mean, it just, you know. And I don't blame anybody for thinking it's an easier deal. But you, really, you got to have some thick skin to be a pastor. And Timothy did not have thick skin. You, you, and there are blessings beyond measure being a pastor. Don't get me wrong. And in this church, it's especially true but the reality is is that Timothy was in this place and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There is resilience in you. There is resilience in the church. I don't care what's going on in Ephesus. Let me tell you how to do church and then the Holy Spirit of God will supernaturally come in and everybody will be on the rise. That's what he's talking about. In First Timothy chapter six, because he kind of comes to a crescendo there too, and he tells them, Don't forget to teach these things. And that's that's fact. That's what he says, beginning at the end of verse two of First Timothy six. Look at this. These are the things that you are to teach and insist on. In other words, Timothy, this isn't just a nice thing to think about. This isn't just insist on these, okay? You know, pull yourself together, go talk to these men, these people, these women, whoever they are, who are you know, trying to make the church into something it's not. And then Paul goes into describing the opposite of what real community is in order to show what real community is, if that makes sense. He kind of launches into a little bit of a ferocious tirade here. Watch this. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, you they are conceited and understand nothing and they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels, and they're on social media all the time. No, that's not it. Uh, About words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. They've been robbed of the truth. Think of that. And they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, let's just see what he's saying here. Let's just pull out two words to try and get the understanding of what's going on with these people and why Paul is so worked up and why he's so concerned. First of all, look at it. It says their corrupt mind. Their corrupt mind means that they've been robbed of the truth. This, this word actually means they're stuck. They're so settled. There's a, there's, you, could, you could translate this, they are settled in their mind. They're so settled and they're so hunkered down in it, they have no idea that there's another, a real truth out there. It's the same thing, uh, the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians four four, when he says, the false teachers have had their minds corrupted. They have no idea how false they are. And he's saying, that's what's happening to these people. So have some compassion, but confront them. And second of all, notice uh, he, he says that they have been conceited. Now, this Conceited is an interesting word because it could be translated this way. They are smoke blind by pride. Smoke blind, like smoke in your eyes. I remember there was a song that was around by the Platters when I was a little kid called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. I could never understand that song because my parents would take us camping and invariably when we sat around the fire at night, And it wouldn't, the smoke wouldn't just slowly move to my direction. It was just like a bam, right in my face. And I would get up and dance and say, oh, I hate that. And my mom would say, oh, it's not so bad. Smoke follows beauty. And I said, isn't that right? You know? And I think of that song, I said, who would ever believe that? You know, someday you will find when you're in love, you're blind. Ooh, 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 ooh. When your heart's on fire, smoke gets in your eye. No, it does. That's not, how, I hope that's, I didn't care about girls at that time, but I found out later, it doesn't. Okay, Paul's saying, no, no, don't be blinded by this because that's what happened. What he's really talking about is the verbal kind of crabbing, right? The relational kind of crabbing. He's saying, you know, don't, don't, get, don't get sucked into that. And you think about this in our time, this is really important to consider and to realize. When we have a society that basically is finding its energy on outrage. I mean, G.K. Chesterton once says when, when cultures get bored with themselves, it's like little kids in the afternoon when they're bored with themselves, they start to twist the tail of the cat. They start to try and wake themselves up with nightmares. That's what we're seeing, right? These nightmares of outrage. And Paul's saying, don't let that in here. And I'm not saying that we got it. I mean, I, you know... We may fight, but we fight friendly. Okay, we're not. I'm not saying we're a perfect church. I'm saying we're blessed. I'm not saying we should keep people out. You know, no outrage allowed. That's not what he's saying either. He's saying you need to help tell people the truth so that God can change those lives, Timothy. Because that has no place in the partnership in the gospel. Because outrage like that, factionalism like that, reduces human beings. It dehumanizes people including the ones that are doing it. And so, Timothy, you need to, to lift up the partnership and the gospel. Keep the main thing the main thing, which is the community, the partnership in the gospel. I, I remember reading, again, in the book of Acts, as we've been reading through it, in chapter 4, they've just had some persecution. You know, Paul and John have, have been released by the Sanhedrin, and they come back to the, to the church family. They pray together. And then it says something very interesting they had all they had all uh, the, the mind of Christ in common basically is what it says and they had no arguing and and grumbling boy that's a miracle in itself when you get that many people together right i mean that, there's something supernatural about that 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 was a mark that there was there's something wondrous about what happened there in that place and paul is saying being together in community is where the resilience, where the re- rise happens. In other words, you could put it this way. This is sort of the big idea of this series, quite frankly. It's the real resilience, which Paul is going to call gain. He's already used the word gain and financial gain. Real gain, real bouncing back, real, resist, real resilience can only be gained and, pro- and protected together. That's how God does it. He does it when we're there for each other, when we're with each other. That's how he does it. And, and I think what, what he's saying is, is what God wants, what I want, Paul would say, and what little old me, small D. Duane wants is for us to be that kind of place where all boats get rising together because we're connected in that way. And God does a miraculous thing and a wondrous thing that causes that kind of resilience to happen. You know, he's, he's comparing real community and the partnership in the gospel with sort of a congressional crab fest. Seen any of those lately? Since I just used the word Congress, let me take a, a small footnote. If you have not voted, please vote this afternoon and get your ballot in. Because this time, it does affect, it does make a difference to everybody. There's something in there for everybody, okay? And you and I may not vote the same. I'm not telling you how to vote, but I trust you a lot more. Well, I just trust you. Okay, let's so leave it that. So vote. But Paul has, having said all that about what the dark side of, you know, destructive things to community are and, and, and how, to, how the partnership in the gospel falls apart with all this individualism floating around in financial gain and whatnot, he says one sa- sentence that paints a whole different picture all at one time. Here it is, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, we looked at contentment last week, so I'm not going to get into it other than to say this. Last week at the end of Philippians 4, contentment was sort of an individual thing. This time, because we've been talking in the context of life together in the church, it's a corporate thing. Contentment in, in, in this place. And it's, it, again, it's not self-sufficiency, well, it's not self-sufficiency like we think of self-sufficiency. It's self-sufficiency that's encouraged by the Holy Spirit, not so that we can spend it on ourselves, but though we can spend it on others. And it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on our resources. It's not based on our money. It's not based on our intelligence. It's not based on it. It's based on the work of the Spirit in the life of the community and therefore in our individual lives. That's what it's based on. And that kind of contentment, so it's not like sitting back and kicking back our heels and, okay, I don't have to worry about anything. No, it's the kind of contentment that is is, um, corporate, and it's together, but it's going somewhere. And look at the formula he says here. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. The word great, I'm going to teach you a little Greek here, is the word mega. Really big gain not mega, mega, M-E-G-A. I'm not saying that other thing either, but I'm just saying that this is bigger and greater than anywhere else. And and when you have that in a community, it's incredible. In fact, when you have godliness plus contentment, that's what happened. In in fact, Paul's already defined godliness back in chapter 4. Look at verse 8 if you've got your Bible open. For physical training is of some value... But godliness is of value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, it's not just. First of all, godliness isn't just for then; it's for now. And godliness, what is it? It's raising everybody up to be more like Him, to be more like that life. You know, don't you think that God is at peace? Don't you look at Jesus' life? Don't you think that He's contented with His life? Don't you think that He was like? You know, in spite of all the lousy things that happened to him and the rotten things that happened, he was just, he was up. And, and, and God's saying, I want to lift you up to that, okay? But, and so it's for now and for the, the future. But also, look what he said. He says you can learn it. It's like training. It's like physical training. He says there's nothing bad with physical training, but I really like what he says. There's another kind of training. You know, it gives a whole new meaning to the idea of working your abs, working your core, because there's a work that can be done on the core of the spirit, the human being. Not to separate body from spirit, but the core of the human being. Everything we are, all that we are, and that's what happens here. We help each other with that. We, 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 we lift up each other with that. And so great gain is better than even physical conditioning. It's better than financial gain. It's better than psychological gain lifting up. It's better than plastic surgery lifting up. I just had to throw that in there. I mean, it's better than any of that. And, and Paul's saying, you know, you don't have to be living life like just one stupid thing after another. Together, even the, even the pain, the difficulty can lift this up. Again, keep bringing this up. love this book, reading the book of Acts. I was reading that this week and I'm going, wow, it's just one stupid thing after another for these people. And yet they keep popping back up. They're resilient, right? It's like they've got these resilient struggles. Something else is going on there to make that possible, to make that happen. And it's not pain-free existence. In America today, there's this illusion floating around that somehow if I find the right philosophy, if I get the right celebrity, if I get this right thing or get to this point, then I will be pain-free. And it's an illusion. There is no sense of such a thing. I, I haven't heard this lately, and I'm sure none of you think this, so I feel free to use this illustration. But people, there was a period of time for about a decade, people would come up to me and say, man, I really want to help the church. Great, but I have to wait till I become financially independent and uh, independently wealthy what? And they go, well, when I do, I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to become a missionary. I may even come here and work at the church. And I said, no, you won't. Because you'll be feeding the dragon to keep it going. And and it's the same with this this pain. You know, if I just find that thing, I I was thinking about this this week when I was watching one of the new TV shows. Actually, it's a reboot of an old TV show on uh, CBS. It's the new Magnum P.I., and I gotta t- the reason I'm laughing is because it's full of cheese. It really is. <laughs> but you don't have all the sex garbage, and you don't have all the violence garbage to, to the point you do on other cable shows and stuff like that. So I've been watching it, and there, you know the, the story of Magna P.I. is a private investigator in Hawaii. I, I like it for that, too. And um, He's, uh, he's there, and he's got two other friends that are there with him that were in prison with him in a concentration camp, I mean, in, in, in the military when they were, uh, when they were held. And, and these two other friends in this week's episode are out uh, going surfing at the beach, and they meet up with this other guy who's in a wheelchair who was also in the military, but, you know, he's, he's lost the use of his legs, he's a broken person, he comes home, he's, he's just so, you know, angry that, that his, his, his wife has left him, all kinds of pain, just awful pain. And uh, they take him surfing, and the guy tries to kill himself. Of course, they rescue him, bring him to shore. And um, he said, you're not doing that on our watch, pal. We're in this together. We're your brothers in this, okay? And he goes, you don't understand my pain. And Rick says, don't you ever say we don't understand the pain. We live with that same pain every day. And TC says, yeah, it may not be the exact same as yours, but it's just as intense. And he says, you never lose the pain, but you can learn to live with it. Okay. And it, I got a, my mean streak popped up. I, I, I thought, okay, another cheesy line, but then immediately something in the back of my mind said, Dwayne, no, 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 you're not getting it, because it's amazing. God has created us as human beings with the capacity, just as human beings. I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about anybody. A human being has the capacity to learn to live with the pain. Yeah. But what Paul's talking about here is mega gain beyond that. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God as we share life together where sometimes he uses someone else to lock arms with us and to lift us up and to help us but other times it's just in the community that he pours on the people that need it and he actually turns the pain and the energy that comes from that pain into good in our life. I and mean, That's something that just doesn't happen in the normal everyday human experience with pain. You can learn to live with it but Paul says you can learn to flourish in spite of it. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Christians can help each other toward that. And that's the whole point. That's the core. Which means I need to ask you a um, bit of an awkward question. I I had an, you know, don't be too fearful because, um, uh, you know, awkward questions can actually be used by God to do amazing things in your life. I had one of those. I had a, a a youth pastor when I was a sophomore in high school came straight from Vietnam. tells you when I was in high school, um, and he, he was in special forces and, and one day I was in my normal place in the lobby, we they had this weird name for it. they called it the narthex i 'm not sure why, but standing in the narthex, and I 'm in my normal place going like this: church people can't stand church people. I'm just kind of sitting there. I didn 't say anything. I was just staring ahead. Youth pastor, he's like a head taller than me, and big guy, I and mean, he's special forces, comes up, stands next to me just like I'm standing. You know, he just doesn't even look at me. He just says, so, Jesus says you're either for me or against me. Which one are you? And my head slowly turns, you can't ask me that. And as I'm looking at him, he doesn't even look at me. He just said, I just did. And he walks away. <laughs> and you know what? That was an awkward question. But it drove me crazy for weeks. I had to dive into the Bible just to see if he was lying to me or not. And you know, it was at that point when I started getting into this and started, wait, what's that? What's that? That was the point that turned my life around. That was the point at which God used that question and that person to set me on a path of discovery and finding Christ. And I gave my life fully, completely, as the Puritans would say, to Christ. And and that's what began it for me. So here's my awkward question for you. Maybe it'll have the same effect. I don't know. But are you content with how your life is going? Like right now, can you say yes to that question? In fact, let me up the ante just a little bit. If you were to get a phone call this week that said, I'm really sorry to say this, but you've only got weeks, only got months, would you be able to say, and I pray that doesn't happen, by the way, I'm not making light of that at all. Would you be able to say, yep, I am contented with my life. This is a good, good life. I'm not saying anybody should give up or anything like that. I'm just saying, would you be able to say, but God's given me such a good life. I can trust him with the next. Because if the answer is anything but yes, what I am telling you is today starts is the beginning of the journey to yes. That's possible for that to happen. That's what Paul's saying. That kind of contentment, that kind of lifting up is possible. You know, when Jesus first, um, you know, heard the phone call, so to speak, the night before, just a few hours, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours, we don't know exactly, but before he went to the cross and died, he, you, know, you know what was on his mind as he was praying? Because we know, because he prayed out loud in front of his disciples. You know who was on his mind? Us. You and me. Look what he says when he's praying. My prayer is not for them. He's talking about the eleven disciples. Judas had already run off. I pray also for those who will believe through their message. Who's that? That's us. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. Whoa. He's depending on us and our unity to show the world that, he, wow. Well, know that you sent me and that I have loved them and even as you have loved me. You see, that's the reality. That's what he's really going for. What he's saying is, look around. In fact, go ahead, look around. Look around, look at these people. You know what that is? That's living proof. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and came to earth to save us all from our sin. That's what this is. That he was sent by God. That's, he's saying that's the evidence. That's, that's the real evidence. And here's the crime. The crime is in that last sentence there. Have loved them and as you have loved me. The real crime is, is you, if, you, if you don't have that kind of community, you miss out on that kind of love. And that's the core of what it means to be in partnership with the gospel. I had another experience this week that I know it's just sort of a personal thing, and it seems so silly, but we had the grandkids over, and the oldest one, Owen, had brought over this little, it's about that big, a little gun, okay, if you've got a problem with guns, it was a Batman gun. It goes with his Batman figurine. But he'd brought this stuff over to show Grandpa his cool toys, and he has carefully kept this thing to go, you know, the set that goes with his Batman, okay? He's carefully kept it up, hasn't lost it in the rest of his toys. But when it came time to leave, we couldn't find it. We searched high and low. I said, Come on, buddy, we'll help you find it. And his mom was there and she needed to go. And come on, come on. We searched and after about you know, 20 minutes, she said, Oh, and we gotta go, honey. We gotta go, we gotta go. So you, we'll find it later, don't worry. And as he's we'd gone downstairs, and as he's walking upstairs, I could see the quiver right here. You know, he's just trying not to cry, four-year-old. And, and it was like Oh, it got me. I was so sad. I mean, I wasn't catatonic or anything, but <laughs> but I was genuinely sad. And you know, after he left, I looked for an hour and a half, and I found it. <laughs> and it was in the obvious place. It was in the seat cushions in the couch in the living room. Right. But immediately, I take the, my phone out and take a picture. Please tell Owen I found his gun. And his mom says, "Well, he went to sleep already, but I will show him in the morning." Oh, then the two, this is weird. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I go, oh, man, I'm st- I hope Owen gets that right away in the morning. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'd suddenly, the thought came into my head, or the Holy Spirit talked to me. I'll let you decide. It's like, you really love that kid. Yep, yeah, I do. Well, you know, that means that you're going to feel his sadness. In the Scripture that says, together we... Um, We mourn with those who mourn and we weep with those who weep. Remember that? We often think that's a command. It's not a command. It's a descriptive fact of what happens when people are in community together. When they love one another. And you know what I decided in the middle of the night there? It's worth loving like that. Because I wouldn't want to live without it. And I wouldn't want to live without it in here. That's the kind of love. And some of you who are in life groups right now, I know a couple of your life groups, You know this already because you're experiencing it firsthand. You've gone through incredible stuff together. And there's this love, and God just keeps adding on the great gain, the great gain, the great gain. But there's another thing that that happens here in this this prayer of Jesus about love, and that is this. Not only is it in here that that happens, that kind of love, but when it really happens in here, Jesus just hands the keys to people who are non-believers to say, let them look at those guys in their unity, in their community, to see the living proof that I am who I said I am and that I am the Son of God sent from heaven and I put my foot on terra firma. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. That kind of community is what causes not only us to rise, but the gospel and the good news to rise. And it's this unity in the partnership of the gospel, as Paul keeps as said before, we read before. Remember last, at the end of last week, I kind of teased it. I kind of said this thing about Caesar's household, and I kind of left it hanging. I'm going to do that again this week. But anyway, we, we, uh, we just said that, you know, Caesar's household, when people heard that, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so says hi, and oh, and Caesar's household says hi. Oh, Caesar's household, I don't want Caesar's household to say hi. Those guys are a bunch of jackbooted thugs. And he said, no, no, no. You know, what he's basically he saying, no, no, some of them have come to Christ. They know Jesus now. They're Jesus followers just like us. And what I think that invitation is, and I think the invitation here is, is to think of that place in your family, in the world, in the culture, in your city, that is least likely to have its heart turned to Christ. And pray big for that. Believe that that can be done, that all boats can rise that join into the family of God. That that's the possibility. And to kind of bring this all together, Paul sort of lands this part of it uh, with something that sounds kind of tough at first, but really when you think about it, it's actual freedom. See what you think, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it it's almost like he thought better of himself because look what it says next. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. It's like, it's not all, you know, we got nothing and we're taking nothing, you know. You can't, can't take that Maserati or that Batman gun with you when you go. Those who want to get rich, notice it says, it doesn't say rich people. They got another problem. They're feeding the dragon. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin, destruction. For the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Ooh, impaled and pierced themselves? You see, he's talking about idolizing specifically money here but idolizing anything celebrity you know, that, you know the life I want or whatever anything uh, and, and, and the thing about the, this whole business of idols and gods small g is that we are so enlightened in our day and age aren't we I mean we're the first people on the planet to be this enlightened in the history of the world we're smarter than anybody else that's come before us. But I mean, we wouldn't worship idols, would we? I mean, we make fun of people like uh, Laban. Remember Laban and Jacob back in the, in the Genesis days when uh, Jacob takes off and he brings Rachel with him and she, she captures the family gods? We look at that and say, man, that is so weird. They got family gods? And when he chases Jacob down, what does he do? He doesn't take his daughter back. He, gets, he says, I want my gods back. And, 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 and uh, you know, even in, in the last hundred years or so, there's people in Asia and in uh, India who have God's family gods. They have family shrines, right? Silly people. But we do the exact same thing. And that's part of what Paul is saying. That's part of the f- partnership. That's part of the community of believers that helps each other get stuck in those kind of traps, and those kinds of temptations, that's what this is really about. It's about the partnership that lifts everybody up. All boats rise at the same time. And yes, the greatest example of those kinds of idolatry is money and resources and stuff. And if it bothers you that I'm talking about money right now, me thou protesteth too much. Shakespeare, not the Bible. But still, it's true. I mean... I, That's the thing, you see, what Paul's saying here, right here, is exactly that. He's saying this, anyone who loves anything more than God, large G, uh, capital G, is trapped in a brittle and easily broken life. And that doesn't sound very resilient to me. How about you? That sounds just like it's too easily busted. And Paul says, I don't want that for you. I don't want that to happen. You see, when he says that... um, people who want to get rich, that implies that they've got an idol, that that's their God. They wind up being in a trap. That implies you're alone with nobody to set you free. And he says, I don't want you to be in that situation where you're alone, where you have nobody to keep you from falling into that trap, you know, and and to help lift you up, that there really is help for people who, who, who uh, fall into those things. And look at the words he uses about what happens when we have the love of money. Money is a thing that can be used for good, incredible good, or for incredible uh, harm and hurt. But notice the words, what happens when you love the money, you can be pierced, impaled. Ooh. You can be destroyed. Now they're like, oh man, I don't want that. Or, or uh, ruined. Yuck. And then he says, or you can wander away from the faith. And here's my question. Of those four, the first three bring a certain emotional response, like impaling. Does the fourth one, wander away from the faith, do the same thing? Because Paul's saying it's far, 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 far worse because it infects your entire, complete life. And so Paul says, I don't want that for you, Timothy, or anyone else. You see, when God asks for your life, he doesn't want your money or whatever it is that's your favorite thing, whatever it is that God. He doesn't want that, but if he, wants, he wants more than that. He wants your whole life. And when you give your whole life to him in partnership in the believing community, and all boats begin to rise, there is great gain multiplied a hundred times beyond whatever money or resources or talents or giftings that you've given him. It's, it's multiplied hundred, you know, hundreds of times according to Jesus. He was, he was sort of doing that math. And Paul is saying, I want that for you. So really what, that is, what this series is, this resilient people thing, is it's a vision for that to happen. What does that look like going forward? It's not because we're you know, so messed up. No, we're on the, mo- we're on the rise. We want to keep it going. We want to go where God wants us to go. And that's what this is about. And next, year, next week, I'm going to talk about some specifics about what that looks like, what that vision looks like, because there's been a lot of prayer and working on, from Scripture and that sort of thing from the leadership here and put the document together myself, and I'm just going to begin to share some of that stuff with you starting next week of what that could look like. But what I want us to really understand right now, I'm just going to sort of tease out one thing, is that God is going to work in our church in the future, and I just want everybody on board with it. I want everybody in partnership because I want everybody to experience this great gain that Paul's talking about. I really, really do. You see, here's the thing. We're not focused on building a, we're we're not focused on growing a church. We're not focused on church growth per se. We're focused on being a healthy church. Being a healthy church. Because a human being grows. You don't have to tell a human being to grow. You don't say to your kids, grow. Grow. In fact: I tried the opposite. Stop growing. I want you to stay the same, and they didn't. They just grow. That's it's natural and normal. So if you're healthy, that's what's going to happen: growth and impact. Whether or I'm not I'm even talking about attendance here, because here's the thing: I've talked to a lot of pastors in Portland about this, and 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 at least pastors and churches that are our size and larger. And I've talked to some of them in the larger churches in Portland. Pretty much all of us agree that the megachurch is on the wane in Portland. It's 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 going away. And please understand me, please, please, please. I am not dissing the megachurch movement. I'm really not. I know a lot of people want to, but I'm not. Because I think lives have been changed. Christ has touched many, many people through that. But just like every single movement in the history of the world, it's only for a season, and then God uses the next thing, except for the movement of Jesus. That's timeless, the Jesus movement. But there seems to be in Portland in this you know post-Christian, uh, progressively secular society, you know, in, in Portland where we're so laid back that our brains are falling out, and you know young people come to retire. <laughs> we're 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 number one in the country for that. We're number one. Yeah, that's great. Um, But in that society, as it moves west, I think we're going to see the rest of the or moves east. We're going to see the rest of that happening in America. See, if you look at Portland, our largest churches, and I'm just talking on size now, but our largest churches—that's the mega church thing. Our largest churches are smaller, much, much smaller than any other city in America, and one of the largest ones I just got got heard about is kind of breaking up into pockets. And I have friends who are leading churches in the, you know, 12 to 1400 range in Portland. There's not very many of them. But they're all saying, you know, yeah, but we're in pockets of people. And what it appears to be happening is that God is doing something in Portland in this post-Christian world like he did in the book of Acts. When, yeah, there was some pushback on Christianity in those days, too. But here's the thing. God worked in these pockets of believers and he nurtured them, nurtured them along and they were all kind of working together in, in one sense because they had this connection with him over the miles and, over the, and with God over the miles and over the, over the time and so forth and God still did the same thing, had the same impact. Right? And I, I wonder if that's not what God is doing here. And, part, and the main part of this vision that I'm going to share with you next week is we want to be on the rise together for whatever it is and if God wants us to do that kind of thing in a few years help nurture some pockets of believers in other critical parts of the city that we're prepared to do it and we're healthy enough to do it. We just want to be ready if that's what he's, what he's saying. And, and that's really, you know, sort of the long-term picture. The long, long-term picture. But what, what we're talking about right now is just being in this partnership together for whatever God has for us and we think we're starting to get a whiff of what, that, what those things are for us. I had this crazy thing happen to me. I said, you're going to think I'm crazy anyway, but that's okay. I'm not. I, uh, I'm doing this other thing. I'm going through this great suffering at home called a building project. And um, I had to go. It's fun because in the end it's going to sort of be a man cave. But anyway, um, I, uh, I had to go to Home Depot three times yesterday. My home away from home. And as I'm coming down Mount Scott... Uh, on Audi Road, there's a stoplight there at the bottom on 92nd. And when I stop there, you can see all of Portland. Even on a cloudy day, you can see OHSU, the West Hills. You can see over toward Lake Oswego. You can see, um, you know, the bank towers and all the downtown buildings. i uh, looking at that, and I was going, hmm. And there's this other odd thing about me, because I'm a Tassel. Everybody except for Mother tassel, um We all start playing Christmas music on November 1st. So my kids reminded me of this old Michael W. Smith, like his 20-year-old Michael W. Smith song. Oh, Dad, where's that song? Where's that? What's that song? And oh, no, we figured it out. It was my so I was listening to it, and, it, and it's, a boys, it's called Carol Sing, and it's a boys' choir singing this beautiful Christmas song. And, if, 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 and they almost sound like angels. If saying boys' choir and angels is an oxymoron for you, I'm sorry, it does. It sounds like, and, and as they're singing this, all of a sudden I pulled to that stoplight and I'm looking out on Portland going, wow, look at that. That's a big field out there. And these words came over the, radio, or over the sound system. Son of God, son of man, all in, all around, I see. Son of God, son of man, all in, all around, I see. I'm looking at that and it's like, okay. God, is that your spirit talking to me right now? That you are all in this city, all that I see? And what if we could see it? If our eyes were open to that, because sometimes that happens, what would we see? We'd probably see some tears. We'd probably see some indignation. We'd also see some joy, but I'm almost certain that we'd see him touching pockets of believers all across the city, even crazy Ephesus, even crazy Portland PDX. Man, I want to see that. I want to be in on that. But the thing is, I can't see it without you because he always chooses to work in us together to lift us up to be on the rise of resilience. See, Paul basically defined resilience in another place. And this is also a key text for this, this series. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 9, look at this. But we have this treasure of life with us in jars of clay. So our bodies are jars of clay, to show that this all surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. When we get together, we see, whoa, It's not us, it's not you, it's not me. I'm not dependent on you for that. I'm dependent on you for being here and being in it. And here's what happens. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We already sang about that in the new wine song, didn't we? You know, you can knock us down, but we're coming back up. And we're not just popping up and just surviving, we're flourishing. I mean, that's the wonder of resilience of the body of Christ. And as I look at that list and I look at those things, you know what? That sounds like a little bit of heaven to me. Because it's sort of like no more crying, no more tears, isn't it? I mean, not fully, not completely, but it's sort of like, you know, you can't keep these people down. Right? That, that's pretty powerful. What if this? What if on earth as it is in heaven that Jesus prayed for in the Lord's Prayer. What if that's what it means? What if we're it? On earth as it is in heaven. That kind of resilience. I think it might be, but it only happens when we're in partnership in the gospel, in the community of faith in Jesus. I'm going to call the band out here. And I'm going to ask you to do one thing with me this week. I'm going to ask you to be in partnership with me for one, uh, one thing. And it's this you read that? It's in my office. I see it every day. Some of the ladies on staff thought, that's a good idea. So they made some magnets. Remember you saw those in your program a little while ago? If you missed yours or you lost yours or you want one for another fridge or something in the freezer downstairs or your car, there's some more magnets at the table back there. At least I think there still are. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray. Pray big. Not for that bike you want. Not for that You know, whatever it is, I'm not saying it's not okay to pray for you know raises and you know different things and pray for people. I'm not saying any of that, but here's, I'm asking you to pray so big that all those other things get solved in the process. I'm asking you to pray that God have the courage to pray this because this is a courageous prayer. God, would you would you show me if there's anything I'm holding back from you? And if there is any way that I am not in partnership in this community with you, would you show me that? And would you then take our entire church and cause us to be people of resilience where everybody, all the boats go up at the same time because of what you are about to do in our church family? I'm telling you what, that's not just heaven. We saw a little bit of heaven today in these testimonies up here, those baptisms. That's not something just to forget about tomorrow. That's something to take with us. And if if that's your prayer, I'd like to ask you to pray with me as we pray. Let's go bow our heads and hearts in prayer. And if that is your prayer, if you want to pray that big prayer and you're going to pray it this week, would you just put your hand toward the stage just because that's one place to do it. But what you're saying is, I'm praying this prayer too, okay? Here we are our loving Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made it possible by your death and resurrection that we could be people of resilience. And regardless of what happens in our town, in our society, in our families, in our lives, I pray that that would be true for us and that together we'd help, we'd be able to help each other experience that kind of love that you have for us and experience that kind of resilience because we do love each other that way. That we are in partnership with what you're doing here in that way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing this to us through your servant Paul, and may it be what we may what we have seen to be today be more than just another Sunday. May it be a reminder, something that we're reminded of over and over again, of the partnership of what can happen when we are partnering with you in the gospel reality of what you've done. That what happens in the life of the church, what happens in Scripture, is not just a description of the history, but it's a description of what happens when kingdom comes down and touches earth, your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being here. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.